Hello, everybody. If you're catching this for the first time, this is part two of our conversation with Simon Tam from The Slants about being doxxed, cancel culture, and online threats. In part one, we discussed his encounters with online harassment, why people engage in this type of behavior, and why it seems to be growing in prominence. Coming up, we pick up right before we left off as Simon reminds us that we've forgotten that it's okay to disagree with each other. As our conversation continues, we'll address the importance of free speech, ways we can disagree constructively, and how to survive attacks from cancel culture. We hope you enjoy. We now return to our conversation already in progress. I believe that this generation and even older generations who are participating in this have forgotten that it's okay to disagree with people. You just don't be disagreeable in the process that, you know, if you permanently label someone and do it in a menacing kind of way, it doesn't actually give them any capacity to change. There's no grace involved. And you're just basically kind of making them a permanent target. But at the end of the day, I don't believe that's what actually changes hearts and minds. That doesn't actually change society when you just create enemies and create tribes or hives of where you only surround yourself with the people that you agree with. So unfortunately, the means of retrieving information these days is is kind of centered around social media and centered around Google. And Google actually caters search engine results to our own filter bubbles by supplying us with results that we're more likely to cl click on. So if we tend to be more progressive, well, you're going to get more progressive news sources. If you're tend to be more conservative, you're going to get more conservative sources. And it just kind of continues on and on and basically creating this kind of tunnel vision where people only see their version of the truth and they're not willing to actually experience or even ask about somebody else's personal experience. And that's why you see things being so divided as well as like so volatile. One thing I would add to that too, in terms of the volatility, and, and you, you kind of hinted at it earlier, is that you know I think behind these social media walls, behind these digital walls, behind our devices and our computers, you know we're not in front of a real human being. It's just text to to many of us, and even though there's a real human being reading that on the other end, and there's real consequences and real hurt feelings on the other side of that, people don't connect that because we're not there physically, you know, watching them, hearing them, you know, seeing them personally, and so I think that's part of it. But, uh, you know, kind of getting back to that sort of like bubble that you're talking about, you know, we've got, United States has got a lot of policy things to, to discuss uh, during the course of this upcoming election cycle. You know, we need to talk about elements of race and policing, how to handle COVID-19. And there's going to be a lot of disagreement and people are going to have opinions and not every opinion is going to be popular and not every opinion is going to be factually correct. But I think in the, in the uh, public sphere, we need to get all the ideas on the table and have some honest to goodness conversations as Americans about policy going forward to help get us out of this mess. And so what can we in the United States, you know, do to shed some of the self-censorship? You know, what's the way out? How can we start talking with each other again? I think there's a couple of things. I mean, one does need to come from a policy perspective. We need to get you know, media companies more accountable in terms of the kind of information that they share and how it gets distributed. And that's really complex because most of the time what we're seeing on social or even on search engines, it's just based on an algorithm. And I think those algorithms had been so finely tuned to cater to each person's personal interests and perspectives that it's 
created and kind of accentuated these filter bubbles. So we need to get some kind of policy in place to help people shift that. The second part is dealing with the cultural uh, aspect of things. And this is a lot more complex because we're dealing with entire uh, societies and communities of people. But I think a lot of that is going to be rooted in public education and also how individuals need to model that behavior of being willing to hold what I call uncomfortable conversations. In other words, if you're if seeking out the opinions of someone that you disagree with, you listen. You listen because you want to understand, not because you want to just try and rebut whatever that it is that they're trying to say. I mean, you look at any kind of um, policy argument on social media, whether it has to do with COVID, racial justice, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, and you'll see that the conversations are typically very not, not productive because what ends up happening is people begin shouting at each other. They begin sending links of articles that nobody bothers reading, and they're not actually taking the time to listen to one another and figure out, okay, we might disagree on the approach here, but we do actually have shared values. That's something I think, as we see in national politics, we tend to forget that at the end of the day, many Republicans and Democrats actually share the same values. They just disagree on how to enact those values in a public setting in terms of through, through policy and through, through laws. But at the end of the day, we all care about things like safety and health and education. And so I think we have to begin with this idea that, hey, I might disagree with this person, but we do have similar values. Now, how do we connect? How do we talk about those policies in a way that begins with what, what we share instead of what we disagree on? And that comes through teaching people that it's okay to connect with those people that you disagree with. And in fact, it's actually healthy for us to do so. Not only does it help us better understand our own beliefs and our own policy positions, but it actually allows us to develop more compassion and empathy for others, which I think is crucial. It's something that's lacking in all these debates that we see that are happening around the country right now. You know, I definitely agree with that, Simon. You know, and I, I've shared this on the air too. You know, some of my most cherished times in law school were those moments when I would debate my classmates. You know, we were we we're coming up in this adversarial training, you know, uh, law, you know, a plaintiff versus defendant kind of thing. And we were doing moot court, but we'd often talk about politics and personal views on you know, a variety of things. And we would get into these like pretty robust debates. People would raise their voices, get impassioned. But at the end of the day, we we're still friends. And I really valued those times because I learned from my friends. I changed my mind on policy things because simply because I got to see a different viewpoint, you know, that wasn't part of some echo chamber, you know, of where I was from or how I grew up. And so, you know, I, I valued those times. And so, you know, you're a public figure and, and you know, over time uh, with your work, you've probably, at least I hope you have, developed a pretty tough skin, you know, dealing with some of the, you know, cancel culture folks and people that say hurtful, awful things online. Um, you know, you've survived uh, firing, you've survived threats and everything. But, uh, you know, from your experience over time, you know, if somebody finds themselves into kind of similar waters, a public figure or not, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody trying to uh, go for their job, whether it's somebody like physically or emotionally threatening them, you know, what, what advice do you have for people that find themselves on the, uh, I guess, on the bad side of cancel culture? Well, at the end of the day, I think we have to remember that the people who are angry, who are shouting at us, who are threatening us, that anger comes from someplace. And it's usually some kind of pain that they've experienced. And so a lot of times, while I might still feel pain from their threats or their angry messages, I try and come at it from a place of empathy and think like, 
what has happened in their life where they got to this point where they think that it's necessary to do this to another person? And what can I do to empathize with their pain? I might completely disagree with them, but if I can see that as a person who's hurting, because we know people who are hurting tend to hurt other people, I think it at least develops a little bit more of an understanding. The second thing is I try and just unplug and disconnect from that whenever it gets a little bit too rough and just kind of surround myself with loved ones and just remember that that's only one small part of life. You know, as human beings, we've kind of evolved to the point where we just notice things that hurt us, that they they tend to stand out and we kind of fixate on the negativity when the rest of the world can be going really, really well. And it's kind of funny because you could have the greatest day of your life. And if you get in an argument with someone at the end of the day, you just think the whole day has been ruined. But it's not the case at all. It's just some uncomfortable moments. So we have to look at that kind of bigger picture and then figure out how can we center ourselves. You know, for a long time, I would do something like take a hot bath and read a book or listen to some music just to relax and unwind a little bit and try and get my mind off of things before I try and re-engage with the individual. And I will say that even though this has been happening to me for over a decade now, it still hurts. It's still extremely uncomfortable receiving uh, notes. And, and that's why I've had to do a lot of things like ramp up my personal security and hiding my per- personal information or, you know, developing um, and hiring certain pieces of software to make sure that people aren't doxing my personal address. You know, since this is especially since I got married at first when I was just kind of living as an individual, I didn't care all that much. But now that I have somebody else in the household, I realize I can't do that anymore. And so sometimes you have to just step up and take some more proactive measures in terms of like guarding yourself and, 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 you know, choosing what you let in and, and if, if it gets a little bit too hot, then realizing that it's okay to take a step back. We don't have to respond to every single message that comes in, whether it's email or social media. It's okay to take that break. And then, you know, for me, I, I still offer this all the time. In fact, I just got last week, someone was sending me all kinds of threats and trying to start a petition about me because they're really upset. They thought, you know, they thought my case was spreading racism and that it was that I was secretly hired by Dan Snyder of the Washington football team to to take my case to the Supreme Court. And I, I just said, hey, like let's hop on a Zoom call. Let's let's hop on the phone. If you really have some questions, like I'll answer anything you, you have. And that immediately just slowed them down and their kind of flurry of attacks. So if it gets too bad, we can always report it to the authorities. But uh Find ways to connect with their humanity and to appeal to that side of them. And if they if they aren't willing to do so, then just move on. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. I like I like your uh, advice there for de-escalation by uh, putting forth the personal, the, the the human front there, so people identify they are actually talking with a real human being with real feelings. So I like that. So uh, Simon, uh, last question for you. Obviously, COVID nineteen's throwing quite a curveball at all of our uh, ambitions and plans and and things like that. And I know you all aren't uh, playing live right now, the Slants, but uh, you know, you've got the Slants Foundation. So uh, what's going on? What's uh, what's the latest with your advocacy work? Well, we really decided to focus on our nonprofit this year, and so the Slants Foundation was an organization that our band started to provide mentoring and resources for artists of color who want to incorporate uh, some community-based activism into their work. So this year, I've undertaken a number of artists to to mentor. And so for the past six months, I've actually been mentoring 
musicians, visual artists, filmmakers. We've been providing grants to their work. And that's been incredibly rewarding, especially during this time period where everything feels like the world is falling apart. It just gives me a lot of hope when I see that there's a new generation of folks who are deeply caring and also creating important works of art that are changing the world. So I think for me right now, that's my next foreseeable few months ahead of me. It's kind of funny because I, I keep trying to make plans and realizing that uh, you can't do that. <laughs> like it's just going to get derailed no matter what. So I'm just really trying to dive in and focus in on the people that I want to leave a, a, a meaningful impact with through these mentorships, especially. And so we're actually launching next, you know, this upcoming fall, we're, we're going to launch our what I call it's my annual troublemaker scholarship, where we fund works from artists who are trying to do works that provide an unconventional approach to, to activism. And uh, last year, we funded a theater group, a film, some music and a poetry project. Uh, this year, I, I can't wait to see what else comes in. So I, hopefully we get to fund more musical projects since, uh, you know, that's my, my heart, but it's really up to the committee, not up to me. So I'm just honored to be a part of that. Well, I think if there is a uh, silver lining to uh, 2020, it's that I think a lot of people around the country are getting in touch with uh, with those things that are and those those individuals that are truly important to them. So I think that's been a silver lining if there is one in 2020. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, you know, and maybe in regards to like what's happening with cancer culture, cancel culture, I think if people take the time to actually reach out to people and maybe like don't even if you disagree with someone, don't begin that conversation with an argument or calling them something awful. That's not going to lead us towards anything productive. Like even if you care deeply about an issue, maybe try and understand that person's perspective before you argue with them. And then that meaningful connection might allow us to move the needle forward. I always just think about this, even the people that are contacting me, whether they have legitimate arguments or not, I'm like, what do you expect if you just come at me and you're just calling me a racist or calling me an evil human being? How do you expect me to change my behavior from that? You know, like if you find someone you disagree with, like treat them as if you, even if they're like that uh, annoying uncle at Thanksgiving, like <laughs> ask them questions. Remember, like we're all human and like what would it take to, to actually have that conversation instead of being like a debate or an attack, but what would it take to make it become a meaningful conversation? That's what, that's all I wish more people would be doing these days. Well, wisely said. And uh, well, we're out of time, uh, Simon. So I want to thank you for joining us. It's uh, been a real pleasure talking with you again. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Right, thanks so much for having me. And thank you listeners for tuning in. If you want to hear more about Simon and his work, we've got a couple of episodes on our network, one on our ABA journal, Modern Law Library show, and the other, of course, on the show that I produce, Make No Law. And we'll put those links uh, in the show notes so you can get to those and listen to the episodes. Highly recommended. And one more time, I want to thank our sponsor for making this program possible, NBI, the National Business Institute. You can find them at nbi-sems.com. Don't forget the promo code LegalTalkNBI to receive $100 off your next CLE. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.